Welcome to another edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. As usual, I'm your host, William Hill, and today is uh, August 11th, 2015, and this is broadcast number 87. Today we have the pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Michael Morales. He is a relatively new uh, professor here at the seminary and specializing primarily in, in biblical theology, Old Testament and New Testament biblical theology. And we're going to sit down and talk with him about that subject matter and uh, the history of it and the relationship it has with systematic theology and, and, and a bunch of other types of things related to that. But more about that in just a minute. Let me bring everybody up to speed as to what is going on at the seminary. Uh, we are rapidly reaching the point where the fall semester will begin here at Greenville Seminary. We have convocation, I believe it's August 29th. I think that's correct, August 29th. Well, anyway, the website will tell you what date that is. But I believe it's August 29th, and Dr. Ryan McGraw will be um, preaching at convocation um, for the student body and officially launching the fall semester of 2015. So that's on the horizon. Uh, we're busy getting ready for that here at, at, at the seminary. So um, if you want more information about convocation, because the public is invited, you can go to the website gpts.edu. Additionally, we have a website for the podcast, confessingourhope.com. Many of you who listen faithfully every week know that we have that, so avail yourself of that um, resource and opportunity to listen to past episodes broadcasts, uh, other resources, they're all there on the website. And of course, if you want to know more information about Greenville Seminary, it's gpts.edu. Now, as I mentioned a few seconds ago, we're going to sit down with Dr. Michael Morales and speak with him today about a subject that he's passionate about, passionate about and one that um, is, uh, well, it's a relatively new subject matter here at the seminary as far as the curriculum is concerned. And so we're really excited to have him here and teaching in the classroom uh, a subject that he is uh, well-versed in, and that is the subject of biblical theology. So, Dr. Morales, it's good to have you on the program to talk with our listeners about something that you spend, have spent quite a bit of time dealing with over the years. Thank you, Bill. It's good to be here. Why don't you do everybody uh, let everybody know a little bit about your background, um, you're a new professor here, and I couldn't remember. I was going to ask you off air whether you were a full professor, an associate professor. I know I don't know if that matters, but um, but what is your background, uh, you know, upbringing, and what brought you to faith in Christ and into the into the gospel ministry, and then eventually to Greenville Seminary? Well, I was born and raised in Miami, Florida, and um, around the age of kindergarten, I remember my parents uh, being baptized. We had a really faithful pastor who uh, mm. visited frequently our home and shared the gospel and God's word with my parents, and they came to faith. And so, um, really, I, I grew up in that great blessing of not knowing uh, a day, really, where I didn't know the Lord and know His goodness, and so I'm grateful for that. Now, it wasn't a, a reformed uh, upbringing by any means, uh, but God was faithful to guide us along our journey, and um, I eventually got a business degree and worked for a bank, and, and uh, it was during that boredom that the Lord really sort of reached in and, and uh, turned my heart toward Him in, in a more significant way where I wanted to, to serve um, as a pastor and a teacher, and I went to seminary and got an MA degree and was pastoring in a church, again, not, not a Reformed context, but came to the Reformed faith while I was 
studying the Word and for sermons and for Sunday school, and, and God brought in the work of Martin Lloyd-Jones mm-hmm. into my life, and really sure. through him that was kind of the end of the story. Uh, I pastored for about four years and then returned to seminary, Knox Theological Seminary in Florida, and got an MDiv there, and they hired me to teach, and uh, I taught three years full-time there and started work on a PhD degree under Gordon Wenham in the UK, and um, got an email to let me... Adjunct? Yeah, no, well... Let me, oh, for, for Reformation. No. Yeah, I yeah. got I got invited to help start Reformation Bible College yep. through sure. Ligonier, and um, so taught there for... Uh, three years, and uh, meanwhile was adjuncting at Reformed Theological Seminary and here at Greenville. So uh, got to know Dr. Piper pretty well, and he and I, after some conversations, uh, planned my transition here. Yeah, I remember when you first came as an adjunct to teach, I, I forgot whether it was the OTBT class or the NTBT class, but I think, I think if memory serves, you, were, you brought your Mac with you. He's, a, he's an avid Mac user, and, and you all know how that makes me feel. But anyway. But you brought your Mac with you, and you were going to use PowerPoint or projector, which being in your classes, I know that's not something you usually do. And I think you needed one of those adapters, and we didn't have one. <laughs> I remember that. I don't know why I remember that, but anyway. So, so you've been teaching as an, you were teaching as an adjunct for how long? Uh, about three years. Okay, and then you came to Greenville Seminary. Why Greenville? I really appreciated the, and still do, the the convictions of this seminary. Uh, when I look at what's going on in our world, in our country, I know that the only solution is uh, the preaching of the Word of God, and that is a significant emphasis here at the seminary. Um, the chief means of grace within the context of pastoral ministry, so that it's coupled mm-hmm. with shepherding, uh, That that is just growing pretty rare, and um, and the students always uh, impressed me. Uh, they come, they're they're dressed, and they're ready uh, to learn, and they're ready to take it out. I mean, th- these are, for the most part, the classroom is full of young men that uh, want to be pastors and shepherds of God's people, and it's a great privilege to teach in that context. Yep. Yeah, I really appreciate you saying that since I'm one of the students here maybe referring to but anyway so you came to greenville seminary and your main emphasis here is in 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 the biblical theological realm um though i think in the future you're probably going to be doing some other things i think in the languages but i don't know that for sure so we're going to talk today about biblical theology um what is biblical theology now before you answer that question let me just say something i've said to you before when I was growing up, the emphasis was, was systematic theology, systematic theology, systematic theology. I uh, didn't even know there was such a thing as biblical theology, and um, I've had a couple of your classes, and, um, and frankly was not really sure. I didn't understand its relevance or its place because of my age and what I grew up in. So why don't you tell the listeners, what, what is biblical theology? What does that even mean? Okay. I should even say before giving a simple definition that um, biblical theology, unfortunately, has a very mixed pedigree, Mm -hmm. Uh, so it means different things to different people. But to borrow from uh, a contemporary biblical theologian, Graham Goldsworthy, 
he essentially says biblical theology is theology in the Bible's own terms. And what he means by that is uh, we're looking at the theology of the Bible as God's revelation chronologically within the framework of the history of redemption. So another way to say it is theology through the Bible's story, hmm. beginning in Genesis, going through Revelation. So you're, you're putting the theology within the context of the, the great narrative of redemption. And so we don't just look at God being almighty, but specifically almighty to create and almighty to save his people. Um, Jesus saves us to bring us back into relationship to God. And so all of the different doctrines are placed within that great drama. Hmm. Very good. Now, how does that differ, though? How does biblical theology and systematic theology differ? Because, of course, here at Greenville, we have both now, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I think the emphasis is balanced in it sh- as it should be. But how are they different, and how are they similar, and how do they relate to one another? Or do they relate? Yes, they do. And, and even though biblical theology is called biblical theology, it's important to say that both systematic and biblical theology, right, of course, right, sure. are biblical, but they are different. Uh, systematic theology crystallizes the faith in logical order. And so typically a, a book on systematic theology will, will begin with uh, the doctrine of Scripture, uh, th- because this is where we're going to derive all of our doctrines, and mm-hmm. you move from that to the doctrine of God and you know that he is a trinity, etc., and you move on to man in the fall, and now that he's fallen, the next logical doctrine is Christ and salvation, and then it ends with eschatology. And so you, you have a logical ordering of the faith. Many systematic theologies are um, written after following the order of confessions and creeds, like Calvin used the Apostles' Creed. Um, there, there's been some modern systematic theologies that sort of follow the Westminster Confession of Faith. But basically, under every heading of doctrine, whether it's the Holy Spirit, they're giving you the crystallized what all the Bible has to say. You, you bring it together, you tease it out, and, and you have a doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And so that's very different from biblical theology, where you begin with Genesis 1-1, and you're following, you're tracing a narrative so that you don't have um, the whole doctrine of, of, of the Holy Spirit uh, in Genesis 1-2 when you read about the Holy Spirit hovering over, over the waters. Um, and so uh, maybe what's helpful is the, the distinction Voss made uh, where systematic theology he pictured as a circle. Mm-hmm. You're getting the totality under every doctrinal uh, heading Whereas biblical theology, he said, was like a line, and, and that's that narrative progression. So at the end of the day, um, they both should give us the same theology. But as far as the relationship to one another, a systematic theology uh, is the fruit of biblical theology. So you first start with the Bible, you do your exegesis uh, from Genesis through Revelation, and then a lot of uh, what the fruit of that labor you take into systematic theology so that you can say, well, this is what the Bible says uh, about salvation. This is what the Bible says about Jesus Christ. But then it's a reciprocal relationship because then systematic theology uh, turns and guides biblical theology. It gives us boundaries. And so they keep feeding into each other. So, for example, if you're preaching through Genesis um, and you come to the phrase in the Noah narrative where it says, God repents. Mm-hmm. 
Well, your systematic theology tells you that what the Bible teaches comprehensively is that God cannot change his mind. Right. And so that's going to shape the way that you understand Scripture. And, and you have this uh, wonderful reciprocal relationship. It, it, to be balanced, you really need both systematic and biblical theology. Yep. One of the things that you said in one of the classes that I was in, um, I think I forget what year it was. It doesn't really make any difference. But you made this really intriguing point that that caused me to sit there for probably about ten minutes and think. Probably didn't hear a word you said after you made this comment because I was pondering the reality that it's impossible or it's difficult to preach without biblical theology. What, what did you mean by that? I mean, I I knew what you meant because I was in the class and and you elaborated, but the listeners weren't there. So what does that what does that mean? Probably the 10 minutes after you dozed off is when I explained it all. Um, <laughs> Probably. And, and, and there's various uh, ways even to approach the answer now, but, but one simple way is every text we preach, you know, context is king. Yep. And the ultimate context is the whole revelation of mm-hmm. God. Not only what's happened in the past, but what God has promised to do through Christ in the future, his second advent, the judgment, etc. And so whether you're preaching from an Old Testament prophet uh, like Zephaniah or preaching from a Luke, Luke in infancy narrative, uh, to preach faithfully and to understand the Word of God faithfully requires that you have that whole story of the Bible. So you wouldn't preach some of the laws in Leviticus the same way you would preach uh, the Ten Commandments. Uh, you have to know what 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 phase of redemptive history your, your text is in, uh, but also it's very helpful in preaching Christ, uh, Christ being the center of the story. Mm-hmm. Without that biblical theology, uh, it, it becomes difficult to preach uh, faithfully. Uh, another point in that is, is simply this, um, and this is from experience. I've heard some pastors where they'll read you a, a text maybe out of the Gospel of Matthew, and then it seems like their sermon preparation is basically this. Uh, they ask themselves, well, what doctrine is this text about? And when they figure out what doctrine it is, uh, regeneration or something, they go to Burkhoff's outline of systematic theology, and basically your sermon is his outline. You're getting systematic theology. And systematic theology is edifying and good, but it's not a biblical sermon if you're not showing the people this doctrine is coming from this text. If you disconnect from the text and just preach pure um, systematic uh, theology, disconnected so that the people don't see that this is what the Bible is giving you, then mm-hmm. it can create a cold orthodoxy. Yep. And so that's what I mean. We we want systematic theology. We want confession of faith. But the people need to see that it comes from the scriptures. And and. The better our sermons are, the more they will be biblical in the sense of following the shape of the the specific text, Mm. uh, using the terms that the specific text uses, and and the beauty that God reveals his truth in. Yeah, that's well said. As I said, I I heard you say that in class, and I I got to thinking about the few times that I had preached prior to that comment, and and, and I was thinking about a few sermons, and I was like, you know, I was doing biblical theology probably not knowing it, That's um, right. but I was doing it nonetheless because I couldn't have really adequately preached this text and, and got inside the story and the narrative and explained it in that way without it become just a cold lecture of some doctrinal truth, which is important, that, and, and, and don't hear us saying that doctrinal truth and sermons are not important. They're very important, um, but they feed into this 
explanation of the story that comes through um, the whole of the scriptures. Now, I mentioned earlier that when I was growing up, there was, I don't think I ever even heard the term growing up. I, I was raised in a Christian home, as most people know, and um, uh, my parents went to Bible school. I've, I've been around all this most of my life, and I don't think I ever heard the term biblical theology until I came to Greenville Seminary, frankly. And um, so I don't know if that's good or bad, but what's the history? Um, when you look, and you know, I'm sitting in my office, I have a large number of books. Most of them are not biblical theological. Most of them are systematic as far as those types of genres and uh, types of uh, volumes. So what's the history of it? Is there a beginning point, or is it something that the Church has done, and we're just now beginning to identify it? How, give us the background. Yeah, there's what we could call the true history, and then there's sort of the academic history. Right, sure. the, the true history is, is what you even expressed in your own experience. You were doing it without knowing it. Yep. So biblical theology really has taken place since the very beginning. It, it's even... There's even authors in the Bible doing biblical theology. When the prophets are describing mm -hmm. our redemption in Christ uh, as a new exodus, uh, looking back to the old, uh, they're doing biblical theology. When the gospel writers portray Jesus as a new Moses or a new David, uh, that's biblical theology. And so as long as there's been preaching, the church fathers, um, many were great biblical theologians. But as far as the academic history, uh, it really had its birth. Usually it's tied to the late 18th century with uh, Gobbler, who uh, gave a lecture on the distinction between biblical theology and dogmatic theology. And he essentially wanted to um, have biblical studies, biblical theology, break away from being a subcategory of systematic theology, mm -hmm. basically proof texts for various doctrines. And so most um, would would as a discipline would say that's where biblical theology began. Unfortunately, this is post-Enlightenment, and the Enlightenment really marred all of biblical studies. You had all sorts of higher criticism, and so biblical theology, we wouldn't even call it by the same terms today. Most of what they were doing in the 19th century, 20th century, uh, we would call history of religion. Uh, they were looking at Genesis, uh, through the rest of the Old Testament and just trying to discern what did Israel really believe. It wasn't a textual discipline, what is the Bible teaching us um, about the history of redemption. Uh, and, and in fact, today, it really is a conservative movement because really only someone with the evangelical conservative faith would even attempt to do biblical theology. Um, the idea is you can't even get in liberal circles agreement that you can even do a theology of the Pentateuch, for example, because there's so many different sources uh, that contradict each other, different time periods, different theologies. And then the big project of biblical theology is really showing how the Old and New Testament are united and, mm -hmm. and correspond mm -hmm. to one another. And again, that's something that liberals have no interest in. And so uh, we're in a great sort of flowering of biblical theology age right now, where it's coming into its own as specifically a discipline of evangelical scholars trying to show the, the beauty and the unity uh, of the scriptures. But yeah, throughout its history, uh, you, you have you know, Old Testament theologies like uh, von Rod, uh, biblical theology by Childs, it, but it's very mixed and it's, it's really not what we refer to now as biblical theology. Most people now doing biblical theology uh, Think of it as a discipline 
where you are basically bringing out the great themes of Scripture and you're tracing them uh, chronologically through the history of redemption. So you can have a biblical theology on suffering or on shepherding, where you're looking at these themes as they develop through Scripture. But then biblical theology proper would be the attempts to give the major theme of, of the Bible. And some believe that there isn't a major theme that we have to talk about a variety of themes that you trace together. Others uh, look for what is you know referred to as a center of biblical theology where there is one major theme. Do you think there's a center? Yes. And that would be? I'd have to give you a, a uh, complex answer. Christ, I think, is the center of Scripture, but when I but that doesn't give us the drama of Scripture, and so you might say salvation in Christ, that the way that I sort of formulate it is that we were created to dwell with God, to glorify and enjoy mm-hmm. Him, and that gives you the tragedy of the fall. And the reason why we need Christ is because He brings us back to the Father so that we can dwell with Him in eternal glory in the new, the new earth. Sure. So. Now, now, your Ph.D. dissertation, I'm, I'm digressing just a little bit and probably should have done this up front, but this is probably a good place for that on the heels of that um, response, you, you did your Ph.D. dissertation on... It's called the Tabernacle Yeah, I'm not in your class, so, so you, can't, okay. you can't quiz me. So <laughs> I didn't know if you blanked out or... I didn't. Uh, well, in a sense, I, did. I couldn't remember the exact title, but, okay. um, but it was... Uh, say that again? The Tabernacle Prefigured. Okay, and that was tracing what theme... The temple theme would be a basic way, yep. um, but it's essentially what I mentioned. It's uh, like the more academic way of saying it is dwelling in the divine presence, how that is really the drama of Scripture. Yep. Yeah, very good. Now, again, maybe digressing just a little bit, because I want to be clear on some things. Um, there, there may be people list, out, out there listening that have, have read um, uh, G.K. Beale. Yeah, he's a well-known uh, B.T. guy, B.T., biblical theology. Um and others, and um, and I think it's Beale, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I, I know you know this. Um, he has an interesting interpretive pr- uh, strategy for the Bible, one that I wasn't familiar with, uh, and I'm not suggesting he's wrong. I'm just, when I read through his, some of his material, um, he, he just has an interesting approach to interpretation of Scripture, and, and I'm just wondering, your opinion, of course, uh, Maybe elaborate if you know what it is, and then uh, tell the listeners, is the interpretive process in biblical theology different, similar, or the same as maybe what an ST guy would do? I think it's the same. You you're, have different goals that are going to lead you to apply um, your exegesis differently, but it's historical, grammatical exegesis, um, systematic theology, you're... You know, for example, you, you want to touch on, if, if it's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, all the places in Scripture where, where the Spirit is um, mentioned and or alluded to. But you're, you're doing the same exegesis a biblical theologian would be, but the biblical theologian's goal is to trace mm-hmm. the development of it. So he's going from text to text and showing how this doctrine is growing, whereas the systematician is doing the same thing, but that's it's not the last step. That's a step along the way. That That's sort of still the fodder for what he wants to build. So he's tracing the growth of it, but then he looks at it, and he comes up with the the simple uh, doctrine of the Holy Spirit based on all of it. So he's, he's sort of not letting you see a lot of the work he's put into it, but he's doing the, a lot of the same work as a biblical theologian. Yeah, I think I understand what you're saying. Maybe I 
can illustrate it this way, and then you can correct me if this is maybe it's probably simplistic. I'm sure it is. Um, but in BT BT interpretive process is is as it were following a map as you trace through from the beginning of a journey through the various. Uh, chronological and historical processes through the scriptures and then arriving at a conclusion as opposed to what systematic theology seems to do is, is take it all, put it all in a big pot, as it were, and say this is what it says. Uh, is that accurate? Very simplistic. I know he's giving me this, again, it's, <laughs> this is radio, not TV, and he's giving me that look across the table like, okay, uh, yeah, that would, couldn't be more simplistic. <laughs> but anyway, no, I mean, yeah. That's kind of how I understand it, because as I was taking your classes and um, as we're talking, and I'm thinking about these various themes as you trace them through the Bible, and so you have the do- you have the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in Genesis one, but it's 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 not fully developed. We don't get to the idea of the Trinitarian concept until we wouldn't even understand the Trinitarian concept if we only had Genesis one in front of us. Right. We need more, and so we need that map in front of us that kind of brings us there. Does that make sense? I mean, yes, or am I, I not saying good. it very well? You're saying it very well. Okay. Now we we talked about themes in the Bible, um, and y- you've mentioned that word a couple different times already. Um, what are some of the major themes in biblical theology? One of the big themes is the kingdom of God or kingship theme, uh, and, and there's various good works on that. Um, and so the idea is in God creating the world. This is his kingdom. Adam is sort of like a vice regent, going to rule on his behalf. And with the uh, fall of humanity and and Satan's devices and sin entering the Mm -hmm. world, uh, it essentially, the world does not become a reflection of the kingdom of God. Uh, His will is not uh, done on earth as far as his... um, uh, his will for how we should live to glorify him. We know that he's sovereign over all these things. But but then the biblical theologian that, that sees kingdom as the major theme is basically following uh, the history of Israel with that theme in mind. And you can see how it would develop into King David, and you have the kingdom of Israel. And then when Christ comes and, and he's preaching the kingdom of God and, and how eventually we'll find ourselves enjoying life uh, in the kingdom of a new creation, but even now through the church, uh, enjoying it, Christ reigning now at God's right hand. And so it is a significant theme. That's one of them. Uh, you mentioned Greg Beal earlier. Uh, he has been one, along with myself, that has been promoting the, the temple theme. So creation is like a great cosmic temple. And here we see humanity, something like a priesthood, created to dwell in God's presence and to have access to him. Mm. And we see that as the major tragedy of the fall is we lost communion with God. Uh, but but cre- the story of the Bible goes from creation to new creation. And so in one sense, from temple to temple, and in between them, you have a tabernacle and temple, which becomes our means for fellowshipping with God. So that's a major one. Uh, just to maybe mention one more is uh, covenant theology. Because this is such a part of our rich Reformed heritage. Covenant theology is biblical theology. So you have uh, those like Palmer Robertson, who are biblical theologians, and they're tracing God's work through history, but specifically within the context of covenant. And um, again, that that is really at the heart of the Reformed faith. So Yeah, very good. I, it, it's funny that you mentioned the temple theme. I was teaching Sunday school this past Sunday on worship and uh, beginning to unpack. You know, the biblical teaching on worship, corporate worship, what is it, why do we do it, why do we do what we do in worship. And, and, I, and I was 
I was reminded at the class I took with you on on this temple theme in the scriptures, and and made the point to the to the to the people there that you know the, this idea of communing with God and worship, and when sin happened, you know that God, as it were, jettisoned Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, out of His presence, out of that first temple experience where they were in communion with God in a perfect way. And they were, fle- and I said, but you watch what God does throughout the course of the first five books of the Old Testament. There's this constant descent from God on his be- on his own behalf to the people, where he eventually lands, as it were, in the tabernacle in the midst of the people, where they worship him. I said, and it's all because God initiates this this act to to reconcile to the people to Himself, and so, you know, it's just interesting how that happens. You know, you don't plan it that way; it just sort of showed up in the discussion, but. It's really an interesting theme, one I'd, I'd like to know more about, honestly. But are there other themes, and in, in, in here's where I get, and because I'm the host, I get to ask any question I want. <laughs> and, and so, is there things in this realm of biblical theology that would be, as it were, um, fabricated? Like, could, could you fabricate a theme in the Bible that the Bible really isn't laying out in front of us? I'm not sure I'm clear on my question, but... I think in general, that that's always a danger. It's a danger with uh, any sermon. It's a danger with systematic theology. There are a lot of doctrines, of course, uh, that uh, those outside the Reformed faith propose and propound that, that we wouldn't agree with, and it's certainly possible with biblical theology. Uh, this is where the academic environment is sort of helpful because you get peer reviews, you get criticisms of your books, and, and um, so I think that sort of keeps us honest. Uh, It's also helpful uh, to see how these themes relate together, and that's why I still gravitate to one major theme, um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I mentioned covenant theology, so what's at the heart of the covenant promise? I'll be your God, you'll be my people, and I will dwell in your midst. So that takes us right back to the temple theme, and, and there's a sense where the kingship theme serves that temple theme. Jesus is ruling and subduing right now in order to bring people into the presence of God. And so if someone proposes a theme that um, contradicts in any way or, or, you know, as you said, just doesn't smack with what the Bible reveals, then um, it needs to be rejected. There was a book I just reached as he was, as, as Dr. Morales was talking, I reached over to my library shelf and I, there was a book I read years ago and, um, it's from the New Studies in Biblical Theology, which I think, is this, am I right, November? Yes. Yeah, well, I'll ask you that later about a book Dr. Morales has coming out. But is this, a, this is a theme that Timothy Laniac, I think that's how you say his last name, he unpacks throughout the scriptures. Now, would that, is that an appropriate, as it were, theme? Yes, I believe so. It's, um, for the audience, it's entitled Shepherds After My Own Heart. Um, I haven't read that specifically how he develops it, but shepherding is a huge uh, mm. theme. You, one of the, the major blips on the, the biblical radar for that is with the Exodus. Uh, they sing the song of the sea right after God delivers them through the Red Sea, and, and they basically ascribe to Yahweh kingship, but that kingship is ascribed in terms of shepherding. And, and that's, I think, precisely what David has in mind with Psalm 23, that the Lord shepherds his people, he brings them to himself, he feeds them along the way. Everything we read about in Exodus and in Numbers shows Yahweh to be a faithful shepherd, 
Christ comes as the Davidic shepherd who is both God and man and shepherds his people, lays down his life for the sheep, and, and then elders as under-shepherds of Christ are performing this function of feeding his sheep and tending them until they reach the gates of glory. And so it is a significant theme, and, and that, I think, uh, when we talk about the themes, the way they work together would be categorized under kingship. Uh, mm. In the ancient Near East, kings were the shepherds of the people. It was a very common metaphor. Interesting. And so I was exposed to this idea before I even knew what I was doing. And it's interesting you mentioned Psalm 23. I'd mentioned to you in the hallway, uh, one of the advantages of being a student on campus, guys, is that you get to have this kind of interaction in the hallway with, with the professors. And, and I was mentioning to you that I was preaching from Psalm 23, um, and uh, you made the comment uh, that you see that psalm as an Exodus psalm, which mm-hmm. we, we didn't talk much about it after that. I, it just sparked a thought in my head to think about the psalm that way. And so that's that theme that you just kind of mentioned, that, that that whole God is the shepherd, he's leading his people out of Exodus, he's leading them out of bondage, he's bringing them through the... And you have that picture of the wilderness and the valley of death, you have them where he takes them to that to that place where he feeds them and he gives them water and he, he brings them to those green pastures, as it were. And um, and I got to thinking about that, and, and, it almost, and it forced me to go back and rework my outline just a little bit to, so I could get that idea in the sermon because it gives such a big picture of God shepherding reign and rule over his people. And so, anyway, mm-hmm. it was um, helpful to me um, to just have that brief discussion. And I lost my notes. Hold on. Okay, here they are. <laughs> so we talked about the themes. We, we've talked a little bit about the biblical interpretive process. Um, we've talked about that relationship that biblical theology and systematic theology have to one another, the exegesis that is the same in, 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 in both fields. Um, what are some of the benefits of the, as um, I think your word is payoffs, but what are some of the benefits for studying biblical theology? Why do we even have it here at the seminary? Can't we, can't, you, can't we make good pastors without it? I mean, can we, we just did systematic theology and homiletics and Greek and Hebrew would be, would we be equipped or would there be a, a deficiency, as it were? I think there's a deficiency, and of course there's always exceptions. Some students are, are gifted and, and uh, are able to sort of do biblical theology without knowing it, and they know the scriptures so well that they know the, the story of it. You know, again, like some of the church fathers, they didn't have seminaries, but they knew the scriptures well enough mm-hmm. uh, to bring in a lot of the, the rich theology and have it apply to uh, various texts. But there's at least four benefits that I think make it appropriate uh, for seminary instruction and just in general for the, the diet of Christians. And one is that it gives us the big picture, the grand story. So uh, it's very easy to lose the forest for the trees, whether you're reading in Haggai or Leviticus or or even you know, Titus, First and Second Timothy. And when you have that whole picture in mind, it gives you the grand context, you, you know the movement that's taken place, you know where we're going, and, and really this is just part of what we see like in the Psalms, God telling every generation to declare the wonders of God to the next. And the wonders of God are usually in story form. Uh, we're telling the story over and over again. Uh, you know, Paul addresses the Corinthians, mm-hmm. referring to the Israelites as our fathers, including them. This is our story that we were delivered through the Red Sea. So. That's one huge one, and there's a lot of derivatives from that that we could discuss, but to move on to the second one is biblical theology demonstrates the unity of Scripture. Mm. And in our day, that feeds into the authority of Scripture, it's God's Word, that He, he is the ultimate author, it's one story. 
again, one of the major projects of biblical theology is the correspondence between the Old and New Testaments. And so there are various scholars today working on uh, how the New Testament uh, utilizes the Old, uh, how they relate to each other. Uh, are they really two distinct uh, books, or is it the continuation of, of one story? Uh, in fact, that's what one thing I think Dr. Shaw is trying to do in, in the Advanced Biblical Exegesis class here at, at the seminary is to, it, is to deal with that issue of the New Testament use of the Old. That's right. And I think that he said that's a, a really hotbed issue right now. It's, it's in the mainstream uh, um, scholastically, academically. Anyway, didn't mean to interrupt you, but... Not at all, but that, it, it's, it's significant, uh, a significant project. Um, you can see how it would relate to even how we try to evangelize our, our Jewish friends. Mm. Um, this is The New Testament is not a Gentile work completely disconnected from the history of, of God's revelation. Uh, a third important benefit is biblical theology helps us to understand more clearly the person and work of Christ, that he is central to the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. And this kind of piggybacks on the previous one. The New Testament writers are not doing eisegesis or allegory when they see that the Old Testament uh, speaks of Christ. I have a book here by F.F. F. Bruce, late New Testament uh, scholar. It looks familiar. The New Testament Development of Old Testament Themes, and that's, uh, that's biblical theology. And uh, let me just give you a quote to em- emphasize this third point about um, hmm. unveiling more clearly the person and work of Christ. He says, in Jesus, the promise is confirmed, the covenant is renewed, the prophecies are fulfilled, the law is vindicated, salvation is brought near, sacred history has reached its climax, the perfect sacrifice has been offered and accepted, the great priest over the household of God has taken his seat at God's right hand, the prophet like Moses has been raised up, the son of David reigns, the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, the son of man has received dominion from the ancient of days. The servant of the Lord, having been smitten to death for his people's transgression and borne the sin of many, has accomplished the divine purpose, has seen light after the travail of his soul, and is now exalted and extolled and made very high. Uh, you can see how many different Old Testament passages and themes he's shown to come to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. And so, biblical theology gives us uh, the tools, whether it's promise and fulfillment, shadow and reality, uh, to see how Jesus Christ really is the center of God's purposes in the world. And then fourthly, uh, derivative of the first three is simply that, uh, and from what we discussed earlier, biblical theology, because of all of these reasons, helps to enliven our preaching. It gives it uh, a, a layer of depth so that we can point to God's promises in the past and Christ's fulfillment uh, in the present and in in the times to come, Uh, our teaching ministry. Also, this is helpful, of course, for our own personal uh, spiritual growth, giving us uh, the purposes of God within the story uh, of history, the history of redemption, Mm. uh, is a great tool for pastors to have for their preaching and teaching ministries. a thought just occurred to me as you were giving that fourth element that you know, clearly here at the seminary we have biblical theology for the purposes you've already established, those four points, especially the preaching point. But is biblical theology for the people in the pew? I mean, they're going to benefit from it, obviously, as their pastors use this in the sermons. But can they themselves, or is this just an academic 
homiletical? Is this for the uh, for pastors and theologians? No, I think that um, it's good for for every Christian. And and again, the the Christian that as soon as he can read is reading the Bible, and he's understanding it well by the Spirit of God. He he is doing biblical theology without knowing it, but I, but I think more intentionally, um, and I'm thankful that there's a lot of books coming out now that are more at the lay level, uh, we can only benefit by a deeper understanding of God's Word and the beauty of His truth, the way that He's yeah. revealed it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's every child uh, loves biblical theology. We, we can give um, a child, a six-year-old, the statement that God is almighty, and perhaps he can grasp it and appreciate it, but you tell him the story of, of David and Goliath and how David was able to defeat Goliath um, by the strong name of the Lord or, or talk about creation and the power of God and, and the way that the power of God, the almightiness of God is demonstrated throughout history and it suddenly comes alive. It, it becomes real. Yeah, that's a great point and one I wanted to emphasize because vast number of listeners are not in the pastorate. They're not, as it were, theologians uh, in, the conve- in the you know the official sense of the term. Um, they're not teaching at seminary. They're not at seminary. And so it's like, okay, so how does this personally benefit me other than the receiving end of it, mm-hmm. hopefully from the pulpit? Books or projects you're currently involved in? We'll get to your book, and, and, and that's why I'm asking that question. But what other projects may, are you working on? I know I've se- I see you from time to time post on, what is it? academia.edu. Well, anyway, if you don't know what that is, just Google it. Um, It's actually quite good source for papers and stuff. But anyway, what projects? I'm working on a commentary on the book of Numbers. Oh, really? I didn't know that. For the uh, (laughs) Apollos commentary series with InterVarsity Press. And um, as you mentioned before, I've just wrapped up a, a biblical theology book, uh, for IVP as well. The title is Who Shall Ascend the Mountain of the Lord? And really, I've tried to sneak in as much of just my, my basic biblical theology into that book. I sold it to IVP as a biblical theology of Leviticus, and Leviticus is one of these neglected books, so they took it up, and there are three chapters on Leviticus, but, but really, Leviticus is the heart of the Pentateuch, which to my mind brings us to the heart of God's purposes. So it, it's basically just a biblical theology and um, I hope it, it's written for the pastoral level I, I hope that it'll be helpful and when does that do out in November and I think IVP's taking pre-orders on it right now if I remember correctly I read the website that's right very quickly um, but I think they are so if you are interested in what Dr. Morales is doing um, in the publication world um, he has a book coming out um, in November and you can pre-order it the IVP website um, has the pre-orders the pre-order form there available, and you can purchase it now. And when it comes, it'll comes out and it's released. It'll ship to you immediately. So um, avail yourself of that opportunity. And additionally, of course, you're teaching here at the seminary this semester. You're teaching New Testament biblical theology. Yes, he is. <laughs> and I get to hear this all over again in that class for the second time. Maybe you'll pass this time. We'll see. Maybe. <laughs> I should also mention, Bill, um, I, I, I talked about the varied history of biblical theology, and yeah. so some people are predisposed against it because they're thinking of these names from secular universities um, and, and what they consider biblical theology. But, but really, I just want to emphasize the point again 
that the presuppositions required to do biblical theology uh, are yeah. evangelical conservative ones, and it is a rich part of our Reformed history. Gerhardus Voss is typically referred to as the father of, of biblical theology. Uh, we have Edmund Clowney, the late uh, professor who was also a biblical theologian. I mentioned Palmer Robertson. We've talked about Greg Beale, Grames Goldworthy. So the guys who have done major significant work in what really is biblical theology have typically been Reformed uh, biblical professors. Yeah, I was, I was going to mention Voss because I, I actually I was going to just state that I'm sh- shocked that you haven't mentioned Voss yet. Um, Actually, given I did, the, get, but apparently maybe I wasn't listening. The circle um, in the line. You, as most people know, while the guests are talking, I'm busy making sure the recording is correct. So I'm not always listening to every word that comes out of their mouth. But anyway, I was. Uh, and I he was wonders gonna, why he has to take yeah, my NTV. Well, I'm not doing. Again. I'm not worried about the recording <laughs> while I'm in your class. Um, other things maybe, but yeah, I was going to mention Voss. He, 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 from what I've read and seen, everybody seems to point to him as kind of the. Uh, I mean, the, the the bricklayer, as it were, in evangelical, biblical, theological realms. And I know you require us to read it um, in our classes. So anyway, so if you do come take the class, um, you'll have to read Voss. If you take Old Testament or New Testament biblical, biblical theology, you get to read it in either case. So uh, anyway, Dr. Morales, it's great to have you on as faculty here. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed your classes. They're challenging, not just in a theological, academic realm, but also practically, personally, pastorally. And um, and, and and so I, I very much have, have I've greatly been blessed in your classes, and I'm certain other students would say say the same thing as well. And, and so I'm really excited. Uh, I, though I am taking the class for the second time, it's a long story, but um, <laughs> I am taking the class, both of them, uh, for two times. Uh, that's okay. Uh, that's fine. I just should be just smarter as a result. But um, but I am looking forward to that. And, and, and I hope the students, the new students coming in this semester are, are equally excited about um, what is really a, a turning of a corner in some sense here at the seminary. We, we, we've done the biblical theology classes in the past, but we've done them as intensive projects, and, 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 but I think Dr. Morales would agree with the statement, it's better if we do it over the course of the semester where we can really digest the material in, mm-hmm. in a well-rounded way. And so I know he's looking forward to doing that. He did that last semester. Um, he did, did do the intensive classes over the winter break, but, um, but now they're full-blown classes, uh, 13 weeks long, and um, so looking forward to that uh, coming up this semester. Any concluding remarks? Hot shots at the host. (laughs) (laughs) It's a great privilege for me to teach here, and thanks for having me on. It's it's a delight. Absolutely. Great to great to have you. Uh, Just quickly, for the listeners' sake, what's coming up on the program? I say this almost every single time. I have no idea. So go to the website, because I'm too lazy to go to it myself, and, and there you'll see what is coming up on the program. I can't say real quickly that next week Dr. McGraw will be on to talk about a little booklet he did on self-denial. Uh, something, that's something you see too often in print. Um, probably because it's not a popular subject because nobody likes to do it. Um, but he's got a little booklet put out uh, by Reformation Heritage on this subject. It's about 35 pages long. You can read it in an afternoon on the Lord's Day. Um, but have the first aid kit close by because it's painful in a lot of ways. So we're going to talk with him about that book and the subject in general. 
the subject of self-denial. So look forward to that in uh, the next few weeks. And of course, we have the Faith and Practice segment. We do that every month with Dr. Piper. We have scheduled it all the way through 2000, uh, halfway through 2016, so we know when we're going to be doing it, and I'll be releasing that, sh- that information very shortly on the website. But again, if you have questions, theological, practical, or otherwise, you can write into the program, and we will deal with it on the air. So you get to basically tell us how to do the program for that week. And so we love doing it. It's, it, it's always interesting, and the questions are always very, very good. So write in, go to the website, confessingourhope.com. The form is there. If we use your question, you get $10 off at the Banner of Truth Trust for any book or books you choose to buy. So that's what's happening here on the podcast. If you have any questions, comments, criticisms, or inquiries, you can write me, confessingourhope at gpts.edu. So until next time, we do thank you for listening to this particular edition of Confessing Our Hope, the podcast of Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And God bless.